This is Father Kevin Hale with the homily for the 31st Sunday of the Church's year, the 5th of November. Last night I attended the induction of a new parish priest in our diocese. Had I not been there, I would have been watching the final episode of Gunpowder, the new series retelling the story of Guy Fawkes and the gunpowder plot of 1605. But thanks to the genius of iPlayer, I was able to watch the final episode in advance. But of course, we all know how the story ended. If you have been watching it, you may have recoiled from some of the violence with opening scenes of a priest condemned for treason being hung, drawn and quartered, and a woman who had harboured priests being crushed to death under heavy weights, violence which the BBC has justified by saying that it accurately depicts historical fact and reflects what took place at the time. Indeed, I'm told that the events and script are very accurate, being based on actual trial transcripts of that time. The main character, Robert Catesby, played by the actor Kit Harrington, better known perhaps for his role in Game of Thrones, turns out to be an actual descendant of the Catholic recusant Catesby, which is a little uncanny, but which also makes it rather poignant. It's an epic tale of faith, persecution and betrayal. Thank goodness none of us priests have to endure anything like what our forebears endured in order to uphold the Catholic faith in this land. The obstacles we face today may not be dungeon, fire and sword, but often the more subtle forms of indifference, relativism and general ignorance of the things of God and religion. Nevertheless, we are still required as priests to deliver the faith to the people of God complete and inviolate, in season and out of season, welcome or unwelcome. But there is another old and vexing problem connected with this, which we're looking at today. The problem of religious corruption and corruption in religious leaders. To say nothing, of course, of corruption in political leaders. It's something we hear and have heard much about in recent years, but it's not a new vice. That's why the Gospel of today is one that ministers and preachers and priests have to preach to themselves because it's Jesus railing against various corruptions, dangers and pitfalls that religious leaders typically fall into. What is the context of what Jesus is saying by his criticism of the religious leaders of his time? There's always a danger when we look at religious leaders that we see their humanity, their sin and their corruption. And to say, therefore, that everything these people say and teach is obviously nonsense, and therefore I don't have to listen to it. It's an easy temptation to mistake the truth of one's teaching with the corruption of one's life. This became a very important issue in the 4th century, and the great Saint Augustine addressed it. What was happening in the 4th century was that waves of persecution were washing over the church, and during these persecutions some stood firm even to the point of death as at the time of the Reformation in this country that I began with. Others, however, caved in, they surrendered. Then when the persecution ended, some of these cowards came back 
The question was, what to do with them? And some of the people who came back, mind you, were priests and bishops. Some people in North Africa called the Donatists said, you're not welcome, we want a purified church, only those who are morally upright can preach and can administer the sacraments. We don't want bishops and priests who have been guilty of apostasy to come back. Because if they say or say mass or minister, administer the sacraments, it's not valid. If they preach, you shouldn't listen to them. St. Augustine, very much echoing the Lord Jesus here, battled the Donatists and said, no, even a corrupt priest is still a priest. And in the measure he dispenses the sacraments of the church and preaches the word of God, he should be listened to and the sacraments accepted as valid. In other words, it's not simply a morally and spiritually pure church that has legitimacy. But there's a distinction between one's own moral status and one's own capacity to administer the sacraments and preach. Our Lord here seems to be making the same point, and this relates to our present times, when many people say if the priests and bishops can't abide by these laws, then how can you expect us to? If these ministers are corrupt, then it's okay for me to be corrupt. That's always the temptation and the danger. But Jesus is saying, no, listen to what they say, even as we critique the way they live. How does he critique the way they live? Well, by some powerful criticisms. He says, in the hands of some people, religion and morality can become instruments of torture. What we like to do in our frail, sinful nature is to lay the moral law on people like a great burden. If you're someone who knows the law of religion, you can use it as a tool of aggression. I know the law, and I know precisely what you should be doing, and you're morally inferior to me because you're not. That's the attitude. That's laying a heavy burden on the other. One way to understand the Christian life is a willingness to bear other people's burdens. That is the moral life. Love is the bearing of other people's burdens willingly. We can point out to others their failings and moral dangers, but then you must be willing, I must be willing, to help them bear the load that I have placed on them. Otherwise it's simply an act of aggression and is pharisaical. This is the litmus test when criticising other people. If I'm willing to help the person bear the burden I'm putting on them, then feel free to criticise all you want. If you're unwilling to help them, in the problem that you're pointing out, don't criticise it. This is what Jesus is highlighting. And what it is that so bugs him about the scribes and the Pharisees and about all corrupt religious leaders over the centuries. The other criticism Jesus makes is the way they draw attention to themselves by externals, widening their phylacteries and lengthening their tassels. The phylacteries were those bands of cloth that the Jews would bind around their arms, which contained words of scripture. A lovely idea in that you were wrapping yourself literally in the word of God. But it's used vainly when religion itself is being used to draw attention to the ego. The major purpose of religion is to set us free from our ego. Sin is to be obsessed 
with the ego, with me, myself and I. The purpose of religion is precisely to get me out of the prison of my ego. As Bob Dylan wrote, the enemy I see is the cloak of decency. The cloak is often the phylacteries we wrap around ourselves to give us a veneer of decency. But often we use these very tools meant to get us out of that prison to keep us locked in. The advice of Jesus is always, don't be addicted to these signs of religion, but rather become a humble servant of the body of Christ. Think of the martyrs of our land and our Blessed Lady. They had no other interest except the service of truth, and so were transparently authentic in their love of Christ and of his church. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, by whose gift your faithful offer you right and praiseworthy service, grant, we pray, that we may hasten without stumbling to receive the things you have promised, through Christ our Lord. Amen.